Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. Well, good morning. I didn't get to do that a moment ago. Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. I'm so glad that you're with us today that you've chosen to to join us for this service. I want to welcome those that are watching online this morning. We're delighted that you've chosen to climb out of bed, keep your PJs on, grab your cup of coffee, and snuggle up with your blanket as you watch the service this morning. So happy to have you with us. But I also want to welcome one other group with us this morning. Today, we are live streaming to our Warrensburg campus. Come on, can we give it up to our folks in Warrensburg? Amen. Guys, we are so glad that you're online with us. It's going to be a great morning. I encourage you to take really good notes, um, buckle up, get ready, because I believe God's going to speak to you online, God's going to speak to you in Warrensburg, but also God's going to speak to you right here today. Amen? Amen. I want to kick off today, which is probably one of the most important series that we could do in our lifetime. It's a series that we're simply calling Money Matters, a legacy greater than self. You see, for the next several weeks, um, I want to do the best job that I can to really process through what you and I are doing as individuals with the money that we earn in life. Now, I hear what some of you are saying to yourself right now. Pastor, why are we talking about money in church? I'm glad you asked. Because there are two main reasons why we're going to talk about finances over the next several weeks. Number one, Jesus talked about finances more than anything else in the Bible. And if Jesus understood that it was important to talk about finances, I believe he understood that it would be an issue in our lives. That it would be one of those things that we need to cover on a regular basis. Number two, because it's less about the money and more about the discipleship of what God wants us to do with what we have. Come on, let me say that again. It's less about the money and it's more about the discipleship of what God wants you and I to do with what we have in our hands. I want to challenge you to be here throughout this series. We're going to spend about five weeks processing through this idea of finances and what does it look like in in our lives in 2022 and how does that connect with the church. I've, I've heard it all. I've heard people say, well, all the church wants is the money. No, that's not it. See, we want and I want and the leadership wants and God wants each and every one of us to grab a hold of his word and to apply his word into our lives. Again, Jesus talked about finances more than anything else in the Bible. So I'm going to challenge you in this series. Don't come in here with a preconceived idea, but come in here with an open heart and say, Lord, over the next few weeks, what can I learn Come on, anybody in the house ever need to learn something new? Anybody in the house know everything already? And the teenagers all raised their hand. (laughs) No, a couple of you did. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, man, we all have a lot to learn. 
So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into the nitty-gritty of the Word of God. We're going to discover what does God say about finances and how does that apply to our lives. So let me start this off by asking you a question. Who owns the money and what role do you play? I don't necessarily want an answer. I want you to think about that. The money that's in your pocket, the money that's in your purse, the money that's in your bank, the money that you have stashed under the mattress in your bedroom, in your room, whatever, wherever you put your money, who owns that and what's your role with it? Now, George Gallup did a poll a while back and he found out that 64% of all couples argue over money. I'm not going to ask you this morning if you argue over money in your household, but According to George Gollop, 64% of us do. 54% of all divorces are caused by money issues. 70% of all individuals admit that they don't manage their money very well at all. And that brings us to this. In March of 2022, research tells us that Americans carried approximately 841 billion dollars in credit card debts. Come on. 841 billion. I can't even wrap myself around that amount of money. American households, their debt has hit a record high of 15.84 trillion dollars as recent as 2022. I could continue on and give you statistic after statistic this morning of of why we struggle with finances, but suffice it to say, these statistics alone are reason enough for you and I to realize that managing money and handling our finances is a giant pressure in our lives. Would you agree with that? There is, however, a greater reason of why we need, why it's vitally important that we deal with this issue of finances here in the church. Did you know that the Bible says that one way that God measures your spiritual maturity is by how you handle your money? Come on, think about that. I'm going to prove it to you in just a second, but I want that to sink in. The Bible tells us that one of the ways that God balances or figures out where we are on the spiritual maturity level is by how we handle the pennies, the nickels, the dimes, and the dollars that we have in our lives. Look what it says. Luke chapter 16. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches in heaven. Come on. If you are untrustworthy with this earthly wealth, this worldly wealth, with what you have in your pocket, with what you have in your bank account, if you can't be trusted with that, then who can trust you with the true riches of heaven? These are Jesus' words. He says, if you're not responsible with the pennies and nickels, the dimes and the dollars, if you're not responsible with the physical and material possessions that you have in your life, then he looks at you and says, you can't be trusted with spiritual riches. 
You can't be trusted with spiritual truths. You can't be trusted with spiritual responsibilities, not only here on earth, but forever in eternity. And I wonder how you're doing. Man, I, I know this is heavy stuff, but it's so important that we grab a hold of this. Man, I, I would not be doing you justice as your pastor if I only gave you the fluff of the Bible. Come on, we all like the fluff of the Bible. You know, for God so loved the world, that's good stuff. Come on, we could chew on that. My God will never leave you nor forsake you. Come on, that's good stuff. That God is concerned about every detail of your life. Come on, that's good stuff. But for some reason, we don't want to be confronted with the truth of all of the Bible where God says, listen up, if you're not handling your finances right, I don't know I can trust you. First Timothy chapter 6 says this, teach those who are rich, come on, some of you are already processing in your head, is that me or is that not me? Teach those that are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. How many of you know that money is unreliable? Come on, man, it goes in your bank account. It almost comes out faster. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do what? Good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. But pastor, I'm not rich. Man, that's a matter of perspective, isn't it? George Gallup also asked this question. He asked a group of people, he said, how much money does a person need to make in order to be rich? He lumped people in, in economic status sections and a group of people that made $30,000. He said, how much money do you need to make to be rich? And they said, oh, well, if you make $74,000, you're going to be rich. It's a matter of perspective. Then he looked at a group of 50,000 annual income and said, how much do you need to make? And their response was $100,000. If you just make $100,000, then you're going to be rich. He bumped it up to the next level, and those are making $200,000 a year. He said, how much do you need to make to be rich? And their response was $5 million in investment assets. If you have that, then you're rich. You see, there's no solid answer. It's all a matter of perspective. But here the Bible says, be generous, do good works. Always be ready to help others. But some of you have totally discounted this whole conversation because now you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I don't make 30000 I don't make 50000 I don't make 100000 I don't have $5 million in investable assets. I don't even know what investable assets are. Well, here's a great verse for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Come on, now I don't think that God's talking about 
filling your bank account with millions of dollars today. But the God's talking about pouring into your life, investing into your life. I must choose, and you must choose, either to build your life, your work, your finances by the world's view, which is so easily done, by the way. You've got to choose to build it all by the world's view or base it off the biblical view of God's perspective. That's the battle that we face each and every day. We have to choose which direction we will go. Because here's the deal. The goal should not be the acquisition of stuff. Come on, stuff is tempting, right? The new iPhone comes out and you're like, oh, I need the new iPhone. Literally just a month and a half ago, I, I bought a new Apple Watch, and I'd had my other Apple Watch since Generation 1. Come on, it was the 9000 series. I've had this thing for like nine years. It had pixels out. It would periodically go off and reset by itself. I mean, it was old, so I bought a new one. Bought the new watch, and now what happened like two weeks ago? Series 8 came out. And I'm like, this is only a 7. It's so tempting to be drawn to the next flashy thing, the, the, the accumulation, the gathering together, the collection of material items. Why? Because material items impress people. If I can just get more stuff, if I can just acquire more things, somebody might be impressed with who I am or how I appear or what I look like. But really, our goal should be to leave a legacy that is so much bigger than self. I heard somebody say it yesterday. Man, I'd never heard it this way, and I loved it. He said, do you want to be a legend or leave a legacy? A legend, you might get a big tombstone. They might remember what you did but a legacy, they continue to do what you've always done. They have a desire to continue to press forward with your passions and your goals and your desires. And for me, that's a goal to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you desire to leave a legacy? Today I want to take just a moment and I want to process through this idea of who owns the money and what's our role in this. Two eternal perspectives, and I challenge you, take really good, excuse me, really good notes this morning. Number one is this, always remember God owns it all. Come on, look at your neighbor this morning and say, it's not yours. You got to say it like that. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to us. Those of you that are watching online, put it in the chat. It's not yours. It belongs to God. Always remember, never forget, it's God's. Now, I've placed this word always in both perspectives because it's not enough to remember for a moment during a service while the pastor's preaching that God owns it all. It must continuously be on the forefront of our minds. 
How do I know that God owns it all? Well, Psalm chapter 24 says it this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Come on, would you say that with me? Those of you in Warrensburg this morning, those of you that are watching online this morning, those of you in the house today, can we all lift our voice together, read the very beginning of this psalm together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It goes on to say this, the world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Right here, the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then just in case we didn't grasp it the first time, he follows up, he elaborates on it. And he said, the world and all its people belong to him. What does that mean? That means that he owns every plant, every rock, every animal, every person. God owns it all. He owns everything. Why? Why does he have claim to everything? Because he laid the earth's foundation. He created it. He made it. He formed it. We go on to read later that he sustains it. He holds it all together. Colossians chapter 1 says this. He, Jesus, existed before anything else and holds all of creation together. Come on, look at this. It's not your ability to balance the chaos of life that holds it all together. It's not the wisdom that you have from years of study and and degrees that you have and plaques you have on the wall that hold it all together. But it's the fact that, that Jesus so loves us and is so concerned about you and I that he holds it all together so that we can just manage what he has already placed in our possession. See, God owns it all. We could find excuses. We could choose to disbelieve it. But here's the fact. God is the owner of everything because he made it. However, just because God created it, just because God owns it, it doesn't mean that everything is being used the way that it should be used. Obviously, a lot of things are being used improperly in this world. So here's the question. What is your role? Have you ever thought about that? What is your role? Genesis chapter 1, verse 25, it says, On the fifth day, God looked at the world and said, It is good. Man, he created all of these things, and he said, It's good. And on the sixth day, on verse 31, he looks at the end of creation, he says, It is very good. What was the difference between verse 25 and verse 31? What, was, what changed in that moment between it is good as he looks over all of creation and now he gets to day six and he says it is very good. What changed? He created man. He looked at the earth. He said, I did a really good job on this, but something is missing. 
So he made man and made man made all of the difference. Why did God create us? What's our purpose? What's our Role. Is it just so we can take up space and, and utilize the oxygen and, and throw garbage everywhere and, and destroy the environment? Is, is that why, why he created us? No. We have a purpose. The Bible says that, that God made you and I to be caretakers of the world that he created. In other words, he He created us to be the manager of the resources. So our first perspective is always remember, God owns it all. The second perspective is this. Always remember, you are a manager. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're a manager. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Some of you really aren't sure what I mean by that. But let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. We're going to talk about stewardship just for a moment. I believe that as we process through this, you may just see stewardship in a way that you never saw it before. According to Webster's Dictionary, stewardship is this. The careful and responsible, come on, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. The careful and responsible, come on, process for a moment, in the last 30 days, how careful, how responsible have you been with the finances that God has blessed you with? Come on. Stewardship is simply managing something that truthfully isn't yours. The key word in this definition is, yes, the word management. You and I, we were made to manage the resources that God put on earth. We were to rule over it, to subdue it. God's very first command was stewardship. He, in essence, said, I've created it all. Now go out there and do something with it. Carefully, responsibly, manage what I've placed in your hands. I've made available to all of you this morning six steps to budgeting. At our Warrensburg campus, you should have received that this morning. If not, go back to the back of the room right after service and grab one of these. As you walked in this morning here in the Sedalia campus, you should have gotten one of these with your outline. If you didn't, right after service, our ushers will be in the back to make sure that you get this. It's six steps to budgeting. Number one, it's gathering every financial statement you can. In other words, figure out where's your money going. I mean, some of you in the house, you have no idea where your money goes. I mean, it's just in and out, gone. Number two, record all your sources of income. So where's your money going? What's the money you have? Create a list of your monthly expenses. That's, That's fair. Number four, break expenses into two categories, fixed and variable. Fixed are ones, I can't adjust this. 
This is, this is my house payment. If I don't pay this, I'm going to live in a box. Okay? You're variable. These are the things that you're going to, this is how many times you go to Ozark Coffee in one week. Okay? Number five, total your monthly income and monthly expenses. And number six, make adjustments to your expenses. So take a look at that. Some of you need to create a budget. Some of you, you haven't been careful. You haven't been responsible with the finances that God has put in your possession. You just kind of let it go in and out and you work and at the end of the month you're like, I don't even know how I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat like ramen noodles. One package of ramen noodles is going to last me two days. <laughs> Man, I remember when I was a teacher, I got paid once a month. It's my first job, first adult job. And I was a teacher, and I was expecting, actually, through college, I thought, man, when I graduate, I had already been to the Ford dealership, and I found a brand new car, and I'm going to order this car. I'm like, man, I'm going to be making money. I'm single. I'm living the life. I'm going to order a brand new car out of the catalog. I'm going to have them deliver it to the Ford dealership. It's going to be awesome. And then I got my first paycheck, and I went, where, what, what? (laughs) So I bought a used Honda Civic. But in that moment, I got paid once a month. And again, it was just me, just single guy. I had all my payments, all my bills, all these things. And it was me and my cat. And we were hanging out at the house. And, and I get to the end of the month, and I'm like, there's nothing left. I don't know what I'm doing here. I had to learn how to budget my money. I had to learn where is it coming in, where is it going, how am I dealing with these finances. I had to learn to be a a good steward of what God had blessed me with. I had to learn to, to carefully and responsibly manage what has been entrusted into my life. But here's the basic problem that you and I have. We forget what our purpose is. We go out and we begin managing what God has given us, and pretty soon we start thinking we own it. Come on, any, anybody, anybody here today, any of you in Warrensburg, are you guilty of this? We start using words like my and I and mine, my life, my plans, my possessions, my job, my bank account, my money, my choice. Come on, anybody, anybody with me this morning? Come on. Man, that's what we do. But let me ask you again, who gave it to you? God did. God's original intent at creation was for you and I to manage what he had blessed us with. But what happened? We got it all mixed up. We, we reversed it all. Now things begin to rule us. We're possessed by our possessions. We work harder to make money, to buy things, simply to impress people that, quite honestly, we don't even like. You gave me a little nervous laugh there because you know it's true. I've got to acquire more. I've got to buy more. I've got to look the part so I can impress people. That's not the point. God puts it in our laps and we've spun it the wrong direction. Now he says it's foolish to make the Number one goal in your life, the acquisition of st- 
stuff. Because when we get that mindset, man, it becomes so frustrating. Look what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. By the way, I've never, ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul on the back. Not once. You can't take your riches with you. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing like working for the wind. Throughout our lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. See, when we think that we own it all, when we're consumed with being a legend rather than leaving a legacy, when we're consumed in just gathering as much stuff as we can, when we fail to be responsible and, and carefully handle the finances that God has put in our laps, we suddenly are overwhelmed with frustration and discouragement and anger. Maybe, maybe that's where you are at bill paying time. The Bible teaches that God has delegated that management to us. We're to make the most of what he's given us. Truth be told, when we get down to it, we're simply partnering with God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, for we are God's fellow workers. We have the opportunity to work side by side with God. And if we ever get that perspective, if we ever get that concept in our heart and in our mind, if we ever really grasp that mindset that if we will just steward carefully and responsibly manage what he's put into our hands, it will revolutionize your life. When you understand that that God made it all, that he puts you here to be a manager, it will change the way you think about everything. Your work, your plans, how you spend your money, and even how you live. You see, you are to be a steward of absolutely everything that God has entrusted to you. See, this message this morning is not just about your finances. It's about all, your, all of your life. How are you stewarding your time? How are you stewarding your relationships? Every aspect of your life. It started in Genesis chapter 1, and we find it as a theme throughout Scripture. Stewardship is the basic principle of life time, your home, your business, and yeah, your finances. If we don't, listen, church, listen very carefully. If we don't grasp this concept, 
if we don't wrap ourselves around it, if all we do is build up this wall and say, I can't believe we were talking about finances, if we fail to grab a hold of what God's word has to say, we will end up just wasting this next hour, this next week, this next month, this next year, and quite honestly, the rest of your life. Don't waste it. God wants to use you in such an incredible way. Not to be a legend. Not so that people can step back and go, man, I can't believe who he was. But they'll look back and go, man, I remember his heart. I remember his passion. It stirred something in me that I just can't shake loose. I've got to push forward with it. That's leaving a legacy. To inspire the next generation. To make an advancement into the next generation. To multiply into the next generation. Church, it starts by being a steward of what God has put in our possession. Would you grasp that today? Why are we talking about finances? Is it because God wants your money? No. No, the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If you wanted money, he'd sell a cow. Right? It's time of year. Everybody wants beef. Come on. Sell a cow. Make some money. Come on. But that's, that's, not, why, that's not why we're doing this. God wants to wants you to make yourself available in such a way that can, he can use you in a capacity that you never imagined possible. He wants you to leave a legacy that's bigger than self. Again, I'm going to encourage you. We've got five weeks of this series. You're going to leave here today. Some of you are going to leave here today and the enemy's going to start whispering in your ear, you don't need to hear that junk. Oh, pastor just wants your money. No, I don't want your money. I want you to be the best you that you can possibly be. And the way that that's accomplished is by allowing this to form the mold that we place ourselves in. Why are we talking about money? Because money matters. It plays a role in every single day of your life. You don't believe that? Man, try this next week. Cut up your credit cards. Call your bank first thing in the morning. Say, seal my accounts. Don't let me in it. Nobody else in it. Nothing. Any cash you have around the house, just burn it. Just, just get rid of it. Just, just. And for the next week, from, here, from now until next Sunday, try functioning in life without any money whatsoever. You can't do it. I guarantee you, you can't do it. Why? Because money matters. There's a musical that at Silver Dollar City at Christmas time, and one of the songs in it is Money Makes the World Go Round. I don't know what it's originally from. It's probably another musical. 
But it's true. Money makes the world go round. The question is, what are we going to do with the portion that God's blessed us with? Do you have a desire to leave a legacy that's greater than self? Or are you just satisfied with the acquisition of stuff? The next several weeks, we're going to process through a lot on finances. We're going to look at what the Bible has to say. We're going to pull up a lot of, lot of texts. And I'm going to encourage you, man, don't just listen for the 35 minutes that we're in here, but take the notes and go back home and read through them and make sure that what I'm saying lines up. We're going to dream some dreams together for the future. We're going to look at what we're encounter church is heading as a church. We're going to look at what God has for us and what role he wants us to play. It's going to be an incredible next five weeks. And I believe that when we get to the end of this five-week period of time, you're going to look back and say, God, I feel like I'm one step closer to what you have me to be. Because I'm carefully and responsibly stewarding what you've put in my possession. Would you pray with me today? God. Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.